Welcome back to the KooCast. My name is Nick. Today we are going to talk about mostly, mostly a spoilerific review of Terminator Dark Fate and effectively my feelings on why I think, well, why I think nostalgia is essentially destroying a lot of our movies. Now, I know, I know, nostalgia. Nostalgia? Hell of a drug. But we'll get into that in a second. There's a couple of things I want to cover off because I have not been on the airwaves uh, in a little bit. Um, it's probably been, a, I would probably say, actually, I don't even know how long was the last time I posted something. I think it was about a month ago. Maybe it was even longer than that. I should really find out. But it's been a while. I haven't really posted anything, mainly because I've been lazy. Uh, last time I posted something was, let's see, let's see. My SoundCloud says, SoundCloud says, what are these pop-up banners of SoundCloud? SoundCloud says one month ago. So it's been a while. However, there has been a lot to go. There is a lot to talk about. There is tons of movie stuff that's come up this week. Um, I just turned 40, everybody. So thank you for all the well-wishing and everybody else who knows who celebrated my birthday with me. I had a good time. I feel a little bit wiser. I have a few more greys in my beard. My, my toilet brush Asian beard. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been a good year. I've really enjoyed this year. It's been good reconnecting with a lot of old, uh, old friends and some, making some new ones. Um, went to the, uh, I managed to get snuck into the, uh, Hillsong Worship and Creative Arts Conference the other day, which was very fun. Very, uh, thanks to, uh, some people, some friends who managed to sneak me in. I don't want to indict them here on the podcast because I don't want to get them in trouble, but you know who you are. So thank you very much. And uh, I went to Golden Century for the first time, which is a lovely Chinese restaurant, one of the old favorites in uh, downtown Sydney. Um, it was actually a place that I wanted to go to after hearing David Chang talk about it in his podcast. And he says that every time he comes to Sydney, he always goes to Golden Century. Now, that piqued my interest. He doesn't talk about any other restaurants that way. So I want to know why he went there. And uh, it's pretty exy, I'm not going to lie, but damn. That food is good. So if you're in if you're in the mood for some good Chinese seafood or just some good Chinese food, you know you're not too worried about price because price is an issue. Let's be honest here. Like you don't want to go to Golden Century if you're worried about price. But if you're not worried about price, you want to want to treat yourself to some good food, uh, good quality food, mind you. This is like good seafood. Uh, go to Golden Century. They got some good stuff down there. It's on Sussex Street. You can look it up on uh, on 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 the Googles. All right, look. Um, there's a couple of things that have come up. Uh, let's see. Let's see. There's been tons of stuff that's happened while I've not been on the airwaves and I should be talking about them because it's a lot of movie stuff that I'm interested in. So let's, let's start right off the bat. This is the rise of star, the rise of Skywalker trailer. The final one came out. I believe they're not playing any more trailers until the end of the year. So, um, it's a big, it's a big, it's a tall order for them to have to fill this, movie with something significant that is going to hit all is going to make all the fans happy and essentially uh they're not like let's just let's just put that expectation to bed uh they're not going to be able to please everybody in fact i'm i'm 100 sure that there will be as much polarization about this movie uh as there was the last jedi um mind you i have my problems with the last jedi but i didn't hate it um, I, it, but it is, uh, it is admittedly, it's not a movie that I rush back through to watch again. I like segments of it. 
Um, like, I like the, the fighting, despite... Despite some of the, the the emotional or the plot motivations of some of the characters, there are some interesting moments in that movie. Um, and if you block out some of those things, it's not it's not the worst thing in the world. It's just, yeah. I mean, obviously, the thing that everybody had the biggest gripe was with how they treated Luke. And maybe that was like, you know, but that wasn't Luke Skywalker in The Last Jedi, which everybody was annoyed about. And I can I can understand that critique. If I was the filmmaker and somebody said that to me, I'd be like, okay, fair. Although I would, let's be honest, who would at this stage be willing to jump onto a Star Wars movie? It is like career suicide at this point. I don't think anybody can make the make the Star Wars make a Star Wars movie and come out of that unscathed. It is just so difficult uh, to make a movie. Uh, the the right, like basically to make any Star Wars movie something that all the fans will actually like. I mean, the actual creator, I mean, went back, you know, George Lucas went back and made three prequels and everybody hated them. Well, a very vocal minority of people hated them. Um, I didn't hate them. I liked them. I have my problems with them, but again, didn't hate them. Um, Actually, a lot of the, to be honest, if you go back and watch the the story itself, if if you map out the story now, this is what I always say which is kind of interesting if you actually tell the story in the actual story beats of the star wars movies they're not that bad um they're, they're actually kind of interesting and intriguing and particularly with the political landscape being what it is now and if you look at bits of history um it's actually kind of intriguing and it's sort of mirroring some of the stuff that's happening right now so and it is something uh, it is a little bit of history repeating itself so whether you think george lucas is a great movie maker or not he definitely understands a lot about history, and I liked that he was just trying to put a lot of that into uh, into his movies, which is what he always tried to do with the first three Star Wars movies that he made. Uh, not the prequels, I mean the original trilogy. The OT, as it were. Anyway, um, look, yet to be decided, J.J. Abrams is turning in this movie. He knows what plays for fans in terms of uh, what they want to see, I guess. Um, J.J. Abrams' weakest point is actually, to some degree, his story. Um, he's not a tight, he's not a tight story writer, but he is a great director. And what I mean by that is that he makes great scenes, um, emotionally resonating scenes. He knows how to get the best out of his actors, I believe. And he knows what plays well on screen at the time, in the moment that you're watching it. However, this is the caveat that I have with J.J. Abrams is that he is, he is, woefully bad at tying up the loose ends of his story and this in my opinion is the thing of his mystery box thing is that he sort of doesn't really have an ending in mind i think with a lot of the stories that he creates he creates a great setup but finding the right ending is hard uh with some of the fantastical setups that he has which is sometimes plays into his sometimes plays to his strengths and sometimes it's some of the weakest source that he creates but look um, this is not really an indictment on J.J. Abrams. I, he directed the new, the, the first Star Trek reboot movie, which I adore. And is one of my favorite, favorite movies in recent history. Not just because I went to the premiere as I brushed the dirt off my shoulders. No, it's not because uh, my friend Bruno managed to get us a, a ticket into the premiere and we got to watch it at the Opera House. Um, because that was awesome. But... Because it was actually a genuinely, gen- genuinely good movie. Like, I actually really loved the first Star Trek 
reboot movie with uh, Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto. Um, and Zoe Saldana, before I think she kind of really blew up, um, before she became Gamora. Or was she already Gamora in that? Actually, I, I think, no, she wasn't yet. Guard, Guardians of the Galaxy hadn't dropped yet. So, look, J.J. Abrams, he can definitely turn in an uh, entertaining movie. And The Force Awakens was a very obvious example of what he can turn in, uh, you know, what an entertaining movie he can turn in. Force Awakens is fine. I have my gripes with The Force Awakens, but it is fine. It's not a it's not a fantastic Star Wars movie by any means, but it is wholly watchable. Um, very non-offensive in that in the Star Wars regard. Um, and it was nice seeing Harrison Ford back in action along with Chewie. It, it, you know, that's what I'm saying. Nostalgia, hell of a drug. And he was definitely pulling on that. And he was definitely dosing us up with a lot of nostalgia. So, again, take that. Take that with a grain of salt. Um, uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll see. We'll see how we'll see how the rise of Skywalker goes. I will see it. I will report back. Um, but I would like to hear from some of you of what you think of that movie as well. I might try to get in somebody else to review that movie with me if you are interested. Please let me know. Send me a message. Talk to me. We'll we'll talk. Um, all right. Oh, just before I get into it, if you're just curious as to what I thought about Terminator Dark Fate. It is half a good movie and half terrible movie. Now, I mean that in this, I like, uh, yeah, like a lot of movies, it's it's sort of great in some areas. And then there's a lot of studio notes, interference that I just felt through this movie. And frustratingly, I felt like there was a, there was too much interference that kept it from being a great movie. Um, In fact, I almost felt like this movie would have been better if they had less money. And I say that a lot because um, I feel like when there's less money on the line, then less people get involved. And there's only a certain amount of voices that shape the story. Um, a various obvious example of this is uh, the Joker. Well, it's Joker, the most recent um Todd Phillips movie, which uh, just came out with that uh, Yaquan Phoenix. Um, it's actually a pretty interesting movie. I wouldn't say it is a, cl- it's not a classic. I'm, I'm not sure if I want to call it a classic at this point because it, it was pretty good, but um, we'll see. We'll see if it's something that I really want to rewatch again, but it was interesting. I'll give them that. The take of the hand on the Joker was definitely interesting. And uh, watching uh, a person, who is on the fringes of society spiral into the Joker is kind of fascinating. So it was a very interesting character study. You can tell that movie was on a budget. Um, not, not in the sense that it was, you know, poorly made. It was just not a, not a big movie. It's not a, it's not a tentpole movie film because it was mostly just Yaquin Phoenix just acting. In fact, I probably, I probably spent the most money on Yaquin Phoenix. Yaquin? Yaquin. Uh, in any case though, uh, what I'm trying to say is that I felt like Terminator Dark Fate would have been a better movie if there were, if there were less things in it. Um, and we'll get back to that in the second half of this review. And that's going to be spoilerific. But if you're just wondering what I thought about the movie, loved it and also hated it at the same time. But we'll get into that in the second half of this uh, podcast today. Anyway, well, let's just finish up the uh, the first half of this so that... You know, anybody else who, who wants to check out all the stuff that's coming up on this list will check out. 
Um, Breaking Bad fans would have loved the fact that El Camino dropped uh, basically a couple of weeks ago. And if you haven't seen it, and if you are a Breaking Bad fan, my goodness, stop this podcast right now and go and see the Netflix special or whatever you call it, the Netflix movie, which is El Camino, which... You know, I hesitate calling it a movie, but it is a movie. In, in technicality, it is a movie, but it is... An, in reality, it's more like an awesome episode of Breaking Bad. And um, it does it does add more to that story in a good way. And that's what really surprised me was that it wasn't just ending... It wasn't just another movie for movie's sake. Like, it wasn't just like Vince Gilligan saying, I need to pay more bills, let's make another movie. I honestly felt like he looked, it actually felt like he had another story to tell. And man, it was, it was great. It was a great, great movie episode. Um, there was some really interesting, I mean, obviously it was calling on some, you know, a lot of callbacks to some things and a lot of nods to the Breaking Bad fans out there. But not just that, there was a lot of expansion into that last, um, you know, that last few, that last section of Jesse's life, which they just didn't really talk about much because if you ever watch the series, um, Jesse just gets, is in captivity and we don't really know what's happened to him. The next time we catch up with him, he's just in captivity and we don't know what's happened to him. And this sort of fills in a few of those blanks. And it's, it's such a great story. Um, And there's some new villains they introduce here and some old villains and, it's so it's very rewarding to watch how this plays out. I do have a little quibbly things with it, but it's so minor. Um, I did discuss this at length with my sister Michelle, and I mean there are plausible explanations for why I think some of the plot doesn't work, but for the most part, man, the movie was so satisfying. I actually will look forward to going to watch that again. Um, cinematography is great as always, as the the standard is very very high on this TV show. They just, the, the team that has actually put together uh, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul at this point have got this formula nailed down. Like, they know how to make their stories work. And Better Call Saul, if you haven't watched it, if you are looking for that Breaking Bad fix, um, it is not, I, I, will, I will make this proviso, it is not Breaking Bad, but it is still wildly, it is still really, really good. Um, it is Vince Gilligan writing a different story with the same characters, but with a different tone too. It's much funnier than Breaking Bad, but it is wholly a Breaking Bad TV show and um, set in the same universe. And it's nice that it's the same crew and that Vince Gilligan is putting as much love and attention into this show as he was with Breaking Bad. So uh, if you haven't seen that, please go see Breaking uh, Better Call Saul and also El Camino. Like he's doing good. Vince Gilligan is doing the Lord's work at this point. He's, He's one of the best. But he's one of the best in uh, in Hollywood making TV shows. Right up there with Dan Harmon. I mean, everything Dan Harmon makes is pretty awesome too. Um, what else is doing well? Oh, yeah. We did talk about the Joker really briefly, um, which I said was really good. I just want to point out, though, if you are keeping a score at home, the, the Joker. You waiting for this? I'm going to throw a little drum roll in here. The Joker has made, drum roll please, $934 million at the box office inter- and internationally internationally guys it is I, I don't think you quite understand what that means that's almost a what only it's only 66 million dollars away from making a billion dollars that is absurd 
for this kind of movie. It is an R-rated movie. It is absurd that it is doing this well. And I don't even think it opened in China. I think this is this is box office. Mo- this is box office money. Um, let's see if I can find where worldwide. Let's have a look worldwide. No, it's not going to tell me. Worldwide, 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 hot, 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 hot. Here we go. Oh no, that's just the the Joker worldwide. Did we open? It doesn't tell me now. It doesn't tell me this this box office mojo. Oh, it's by IMDb. I don't like that box office mojo is by IMDb now. Was it always this way? That's really annoying. Um, anyway, it used to tell me. Box office mojo used to tell me where it was opening, but it's not telling me, which is a bit annoying. In any case, 934 million. Guys, that is insane. That's a lot of money to be making for a movie that didn't really cost that much to make. Um, it used, Yeah, it used to give me so much more. Worldwide international domestic... Yeah, the international was... Oh, here we go. Maybe the international this here will give me. Uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. China. It hasn't opened in China. Uh, da, 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 da. Do we have Asia Pacific? Did it open in China? No. So, without the Chinese box office, this movie is still making bank, man. It is crazy how much money this movie has made. Um, I'm trying to see who's, who's actually giving it the most money. France really loves this movie. Um... France did pretty well. Italy did pretty well. Russia surprisingly did well. Spain. Uh, the UK loved this movie. Brazil loved this movie. Mexico. Um, Australia did all right. I mean, for such a small country, we only made, we, we gave it $22 million, but that's not bad. Um, right, oh, yeah, I said Russia. And uh, South Korea. South Korea, I think, is the one that actually... Get, oh, no, Mexico and South Korea did, did the best numbers. So, there you go. That's that's outside the US. That's that's basically who's doing the like the best joke. But that's insane, guys. $934 million for that movie. I mean, that's crazy. Um, and Okay, so we've only got two more things on the list here. We've also got um, The Irishman, which is the uh, Martin Scorsese movie who... Recently lambasted. He didn't lambast. He was just sort of making... It's sort of like one of those comments that somebody makes. He probably just... And to be fair, like, Martin Scorsese... Okay, if you don't already know, the controversy was that Martin Scorsese in an interview said that he doesn't think Marvel movies are real movies. He thinks they're more like roller coasters. And look, people were upset about that, which is fine, but they kind of are. So I really think people should just, like, not be worried about that. You know, Marvel movies are never going to win the movie for Best Picture, except for Black Panther that somehow got nominated. But again, we're not going to talk about that because Black Panther should not have got nominated for Best Movie because it wasn't the best movie that year. It wasn't even the best Marvel movie that year. It wasn't even the best comic book movie that year. Anyway, I digress. What I'm trying to say is that Marvel movies have never really been so transcendent that they, they would be considered like, you know, Academy movies. Um, there've been a few close exceptions. Logan is pretty damn good. I mean, there's not Logan as a movie, like Logan, if you took, you took away the mutant stuff or whatever, it's a pretty cool movie. Um, it's basically a Western. Um, it's about a poor, it's about a man trying to save a, a little girl. Basically. It's pretty cool. It's a great movie. And it deals with a lot of interesting story, uh, you know, a little, a lot of interesting themes like old age and responsibility. And I, I like Logan. It was a really, really interesting movie. Um, and I think should have been nominated for a, uh, for an Academy Award. 
at least best picture. I don't think I got. I got to think I nominated. Same with animation. Animations generally don't get nominated for best picture. But whatevs. I digress. So yeah. Um. But anyway, what I was going back to is that Man, Marty Martin Scorsese is releasing a new movie called The Irishman, which stars Robert De Niro, and um, it looks pretty dope. Um. It's, uh, I don't know a lot about it. I just saw a quick trailer of it. And, it, um, look, Martin Scorsese puts out some interesting films. Whether you love or hate his movies, he definitely puts in a lot of effort into his films. So, I'll be interested to see um, what happens with this movie. Um, what's interesting is that he's doing a cinema release first. And then right after the cinema release, which I think is like a, a couple of weeks or something. And then right after the cinema release, he's going to go straight to Netflix, which is kind of dope. If you think about it. So, I mean, hang out if you want to see for Netflix, but uh, otherwise you go catch in the cinema if you want. All right. And uh, the last thing off the, this side of this uh, this block is uh, basically, um, well, that's it, actually. It looks like I've, I've, I think I've covered everything that I was going to cover. There's a couple of there's a couple of cool things. Oh, yeah. 1917. Sorry. Th- this is the last thing I'm going to talk about before we get into the dark, Terminator Dark Fate uh, spoiler portion of the, uh, the, the, the podcast. But effectively, 1917 is a World War One movie uh, that is directed by the great Sam Mendes. If you don't know his work, he directed, um, I think he directed Skyfall, um, the James Bond movie. And he directed another movie called A Road to Perdition. Let me look up his, his, his IMDb, um, 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 what do you call, his, 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 what do you call, filmography. I think that's what they call it, right? Sam Mendes. He's, he is a great but he is a great director. Um, I've been following his career for a little bit now, and he does some very, very cool things. Director, oh, here we go. Let's see. He did uh, 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 Shrek the musical. No, that's not what I'm looking for. 1917. Okay, Spectre. Oh, I did Spectre as well. So there you go. Uh, Revolutionary Road, Jarhead, Road to Perdition, American Beauty. Oh, that's right. He did American Beauty, and he won the Oscar for that too. Uh, and uh, so there you go. So he's done a lot of interesting things. His movies are. Um, breathtakingly beautiful um and so you would you would do yourself a disservice if you don't i i saw the preview for this movie and as far as i can tell the whole movie is sort of set in real time so uh and they've gone for a kind of revenant feel where everything is sort of close uh sort of all this wide angle lens i don't think they're using the traditional cinema techniques where you just sort of picking different focal lengths to tell the story it's like all sort of in this fixed one camera in in like this wide angle kind of shot, which is kind of interesting. So I'd be interested to see how they do this, uh, do this movie. It's, it's essentially one, it's not one continuous shot, but I feel like they're trying to make it feel like it's one continuous motion in terms of the camera angles. And, uh, some of the stuff is going to, it looks pretty interesting. So if you're interested what the story is, it's about a pair of, um, soldiers who have to deliver a message to another, another uh, infantry, to warn them that they're going into a trap. And if they don't get there, like thousands of people are going to die. So uh, it's kind of, it looks, it looks amazing. Uh, if you want to go check it out, the trailer, go check it out. There's a real, actually what's, the trailer doesn't really do it justice. Watch the making of 1917. And then you'll see why I'm so excited about this film. Um, and it's, it's directed by, it's, it's uh, the DOP is Roger Deakins. Once again, the, uh, the, the, the amazing Roger Deakins. If you don't know who he is, he's one of the most amazing cinematographers. And, He's an Aussie, so we can claim him, which is amazing. All right, guys, I'm going to take a little bit of a break here, and I'll see you on the next side of this if you want to hear the spoilers, the spoiler review for Terminator Dark Fate 
and why it's almost a great movie, but falls so short. See you in a bit. Alright guys, so here we are, we are going to delve into the Terminator Dark Fate uh, movie. Spoilers abound if you don't want to hear what I'm going to talk about, but there are a few gripes and I'll go into some of the things that I did like, gripes and likes about this movie. Um, So be prepared if you want to get out, I'm going to sound the siren, the siren is gone, you have been warned, if you don't want to hear... What happens in this movie? Leave now. All right. Are we good? Okay. You have been warned. All right. So, Terminator Dark Fate was, uh, it was, it was actually, okay. It was entertaining. I'll give you that. Like if, if any, if anything else, if there was a, if there was a byline for this movie and you know how they give you a Rotten Tomatoes, a summation of this movie, it's entertaining. I'll give them that. Um, I still... But it's not a classic. It won't even... It doesn't even come close to being anything like Terminator 1. Like the... Or even... Like... And not even... Not even close to being Terminator 2. Like, it's not even in any of the ballparks for those movies. But it is entertaining. Um, Because mainly the reason being is that they don't really introduce anything that's new. That's kind of not already derivative of what we've already seen. Um... And it doesn't really introduce anything new in the sense story-wise that really tilts this series in another direction. Because Terminator 1 obviously was very basic. It's a cat and mouse story. There's not really too much to it. So it was a very easy baseline to jump from um, in terms of it's just a guy from the future coming to kill somebody from the past. And then another guy from the future coming to protect the same person from the past. And how their uh, destinies intertwine and also shape part of the future, which is Terminator 1. And Terminator 2 obviously jumps onto that, springboards off it, and sort of adds extra layers of complication where ter- like Arnie becomes the good guy. And we introduce another bad guy, but is who is infinitely more, um, more advanced than the T-800. And they do up the ante, but they do answer the ante by uh, finding a really inventive way to basically get rid of of the T-1000 and also ask a few questions in, in uh, some, a few interesting philosophical questions in the process. Like it is a, a fantastically directed action movie, the Terminator 2, but it does ask some interesting questions and there's a great plot character development. It's all very interesting. Um, even the way that John builds the, the John Connor builds his relationship with the Terminator is really, really touching and endearing. And is something that a lot of teenage boys growing up, well, like, oh, man, I wish I had my own Terminator. But like I said, super interesting, groundbreaking. Then we have all these movies that come after it, which is just... It's not that they're bad. They're just not... They just never... They're just not at the level of Terminator 2. Um, for whatever reason, maybe James Cameron needed to be at the helm of this movie, but he hasn't been... He hasn't directed anything apart from... What did he direct after Terminator 2? I think it was... True Lies, and uh, maybe, and then, then he did he did some other movies, but he wasn't doing Terminator anymore, and he wasn't doing Aliens anymore. And look at those two movies. I mean, when was the last time you saw a good Aliens movie? Um, or so, 
um, James Cameron has a big part in this. So it's interesting that he was sort of supervising the story on this one as well, because it's just, it's a bit of a mess. It's a little bit of a mess. And I feel like it has a lot to do with the studio interference. All right. So what did I like about the movie? Um, action wise, the action was kind of good. Um, it got a little bit fast and furiously towards the end, but for the most part, the action was pretty cool. I liked watching the, um, watching the Grace fight the Rev-9. I thought that was kind of cool. Um, I actually liked Grace as a character. I thought she was actually a really great action hero. Um, and the Rev-9 was actually a pretty serviceable, like, villain, you know? Like, he was, he was, he was, he was menacing. Um... But the Rev, I mean, and also, like, uh, it was nice seeing Arnie and Linda Hamilton was back too. And she wasn't cringy. She was actually kind of fine. Um, but it was a little bit like, but there was a few moments where I thought, uh, I don't really know what they're doing here. I felt like they shoehorn these two people into the story for no particular reason. Mm, I, I just felt like if there is a, there is a part of me that wishes they didn't have Arnie and Linda Hamilton in these movies because I feel like it would have been a stronger story without them. Not not that I didn't want to see them in. I like I like I like them. It wasn't like they ruined the movie. I just felt like it might have been a tighter script and a simpler script as well. If um if they just weren't in the movie. It just actually didn't make a lot of sense why they were there. They just kind of felt like they were shoehorned in. It was just like, it was very plot contrived to have to create a reason why Arnie was even in the movie at all. In fact, I felt like the plot that they created for Arnie to be in the movie to basically uh, kill John Connor in the first five minutes of the movie was a bit like, well, it's a bit of a middle finger to the audience from who are fans of Terminator 2. You know, because they were fighting for John Connor for the whole movie and then suddenly it's like, bam, he's dead. Um, so, I thought that was a bit of a... A bit strange. I didn't hate it. Some people really, really hated that they killed John Connor. I didn't hate it. I was just more like, whoa, wow. that they, They're really trying to cut off that... Like, they're really trying to reboot this franchise, you know? Like, I felt like it was just... If you love John Connor, well, good, say goodbye to that. I can understand why people would be completely pissed about it because, geez. Um, oh, side note, the de-aging process on Linda Hamilton and Arnie and John Connor at that beginning scene, flawless. My gosh, they have gotten good at it. Though they weren't talking, like as in they weren't doing talking, but geez, freaking amazing. Like, I, I, it was probably the best de-aging I've ever seen. I don't know how they did it, probably don't really care now, but... It was, it was bloody impressive is what I'm trying to say. So don't take that stuff for granted, guys. That stuff is not easy to do. And these guys have nailed it. Whoever did that, I'll look it up another time. But whoever did that de-aging at the beginning of that movie was hats off to them. They did a fantastic job. Um, yeah, so Arnie blows away John Connor at the beginning of the movie. And this is like, huh, that's weird. Um, and then obviously we get introduced to Danny. And look, Danny's, Danny's interesting in the sense that it, it's... It all tilts very, it, it was like the subverted expectations was so, uh, the subversion was so obvious too when they're on top of that train and they're having the discussion. It's like, oh, you're going to, what's dangerous about you is you're not important. Your womb's important. And it's like, yeah, I can see where this is going. It's obviously going to be Danny's important, not the womb is important. Um, so that wasn't really a much of a surprise. It was also kind of a bit like when they introduced like, oh no, she's going to be the general. It's like, 
obviously it was <laughs> i don't know if i made an audible groan but i was just like yep i don't know if you could have telegraphed that any harder guys but yeah that was kind of uh it was kind of a strange and stupid point to make even then it was like um i think what was too that felt very disingenuous about that particular scene on top of the the train was that Linda, uh, sorry, Linda, Linda Hamilton, Sarah Connor just completely discounts the fact that she was important, that she should have, she should have reduces her whole role in the Terminator franchise as being just the womb. It's like, bloody hell, she was more than just the womb. She trained John, she set up all the mil, like, she basically set up John for the win. Like, if, if John had to give a speech, uh, you know, after winning the war, I mean, he would be thanking his mom for helping him raise him the way that he did. There's no, there is no John Connor. And I mean this in not just the birth sense. I mean, there is no John Connor without Sarah Connor being ever present in his life, teaching him how to be the man that he needs to be. So I found that kind of really dismissive of Sarah to just say that she was just the womb. Like, um, so I found, and because, and she's obviously important because they came after her in the first movie. So, you know, she's important. I just thought it was really strange and it's sort of downplaying the, the importance of her role in the first two movies was just odd. Um, so yeah, that was, a that was, I felt very, I felt like it was very forced that kind of that plot point, which is like, oh, she becomes the, the great, the great leader of the future. Because um, you didn't expect that coming, that a, that a girl's going to be the leader of the future. It's like, dummy. Like, nobody's saying that. And I felt like the movie was, like, trying to tell you, oh, look, you know, women can be leaders too. It's like, frig, man. Do, are we still are we still focused on the fact that we think that women can't be leaders? I mean, like, I'm surrounded by female leadership all day, every day. Is this still a thing that we need to be telegraphing in movies to help people understand that women can be strong leaders too? Anyway, it was weird. Um... So, I mean, I don't know. It, it, it was, it was, uh, what else is there? There were, there were other things too, like, why? Uh, the other thing too was like, why was Sarah Connor in this movie in general? Like, I feel like after John, if John had died, I feel like she just wouldn't have given a crap about the world. She just would have just thought, all right, well, that's, that's over. I'm just going to throw myself off a cliff now because every, her whole world has just ended. Um, I'm, I'm not sure what going through and killing Terminators would have done for her apart from just giving her something to do, but it just seemed like a very strange purpose because if the Terminators were sent here to kill John and John is dead, then what is the purpose of the Terminator being, what what was the purpose of these Terminators coming back to kill John in the first place if they find out that John is not alive is what I'm trying to say. Like, they'll come across Sarah and follow Sarah and then realize, hang on, John's not around her. Why is the Terminator? Why am I here? What is my purpose? Your purpose is to bring the butt up. That's a Rick and Morty reference anyway. So, what that, that just seems really strange. Why are they sending Terminator? Why are they continually sending Terminators back to kill John periodically and continue to send them back even after John is dead? Is it that they didn't know that John was dead or is it that he, you know, they just sort of randomly send Terminators back to just randomly kill John at particular points in time. If he lives it through the 90s, the 20 and through late the later 21st century, they're just hoping 
It's very odd. So I, I didn't understand the the logic behind why these tomatoes were sending these things back, but. Here we are, and this is the movie. Um, the Grace aspect was kind of interesting, although I didn't quite get her weakness of vulnerability was kind of an interesting thing. I felt like they should have explained it a little bit better. I don't, I don't want a complete explanation, but a more, a more factual explanation. Well, when I mean factual, I mean as in a more layman's term of what was going on in terms of her physiology as to why those drugs help her. What did they do? How, how did the augmentation actually affect her metabolism? It just would have been nice to have a little bit of psychobabble. Like, they do that stuff in Star Trek all the time, and I always understand it. I just felt like it just needed a little bit more scientific, scientific babylon, uh, babbling, babbling, babylon, babbling about uh, basically why, or in a theoretical way, why her metabolism was ruining her or what, what she needed to actually replenish that energy. Like, can she just self-regenerate? Is she... She obviously isn't invulnerable because she gets stabbed at the end of the movie and dies. But um, but can she recover in whatever regenerative properties? She's enhanced, but she's not invulnerable. But to what level is she, you know, indestructible? Because she seemed to be taking a lot of hits, is all I'm saying. So at the end of the movie, she seemed very capable. She seemed very vulnerable to a point where she almost dies. But through throughout the movie, she seems to be fairly invulnerable. So the rules were very, I don't know, uh, up and down. Um, look, in spite of the fact that I didn't, in spite of the fact I didn't understand why Arnie was in the movie, I did enjoy watching Arnie in the movie. I mean, if you put away the reason why he was there, I didn't mind it. If you buy the fact that a, a Terminator can learn and love or whatever, he was becoming a family man. A non-sexual family man. <laughs> I mean, you, if you can buy all that, it, come on, man. As if you wouldn't, if you had been with this dude, who's who's basically a 200 kilogram man, who's as big as he is. And he, he's a big dude, but he's not too, he's not 200 kilograms heavy. And you don't question like, there's so many things that you'd be questioning. Like, why is he so heavy? Why is he never able to get through metal detectors? Why? There are so many questions you'd have, right? Why is he so freakishly strong? Surely he couldn't have hidden that the whole time. You would have questions. People are not this dumb. And to have known for this time, and surely, surely it wouldn't have been completely asexual the whole time. Like, she had no attraction to him whatsoever. This guy who raised her son. They didn't even think about getting it on together once. I mean, not him, but her. You know what I mean? Like, not once. Come on. Come on, guys. Anyway, I just thought it was really interesting that... But if you buy all that, if you buy all that, then sure. Sure, you can probably buy the fact that Arnie was there and he raised this kid, which is... It was a nice touch. I, I, I identify with some of that story, so it's kind of interesting. Um, But it was really... It was just a weird... Like, there were just a couple of leaps in these logic areas that just frustrated me. And this is what I was saying about if they stripped down some of the story, if they took out Arnie's story and you took out Linda Hamilton's... Oh, sorry. I keep calling her Linda Hamilton. Sarah Connor's story. Like, if you basically ditched that and we just... And they just blunt... They just went balls deep in terms of... Sorry, I don't mean to use that term. It's a terrible term. But if they just went full on, all chips in and just said that... um that they're just doing a soft re- basically a soft reboot. They're rechanging the timeline. It's not about John Connor because John Connor saved the planet, but there's a new threat that rises up and it's called Legion. 
um, and it has nothing to do with John Connor, then we could have just had a new timeline where it's like, okay, so John Connor is not going to be smart enough to be able to lead the resistance for this next one. Or for whatever reason, he just doesn't survive it because this next round of uh, this next round of Terminators just wipes out anybody in a particular area, and John, for whatever, John and Sarah don't survive for that matter. Uh, so it, it doesn't really, but it's not. It's it's sort of inconsequential because they're not the people who lead the resistance in the future for whatever reason. Um, I mean, they might have easily. John and Sarah might have easily been. They they didn't know it was coming is what I'm trying to say. So they could have easily just died and just read. Why didn't they just go for that story where, you know, it's a completely new series and we get introduced to a whole bunch of new characters. And what's more than that is we don't actually get this new Terminator that comes through. It was frustratingly kind of it's it's, it was frustratingly kind of inefficient in weird ways. Uh, one of the things I was always questioning was why does it decide to become two and then one? And what advantage does it have being together versus just being apart, apart from being, you know, being able to like, uh, what do you call, uh, infiltrate a bit better because it can sort of morph into different things. I-, I didn't understand the reasoning why it needed the skeleton in the first place because the T-1000 didn't need a skeleton. It just was able to just become solid and become physical a solid and liquid, whatever it needed to. So I didn't understand the reasoning of why it needed to be uh, liquid or solid at any particular time. For that matter, I don't even know why the T-1000 just didn't split up into two midgets. Sorry, I don't know if that's the right term, but two smaller things and just run after people to kind of, you know, cover more ground or whatever it was. But what was interesting was that it was sort of, that's what I'm saying, like in moments when it didn't really matter for them to split up, um, why did they even come back together at all? Like, why not Why not spend most of your time outside? If it's not for infiltration, why even split up at all? If it's just for battle, which is what they kind of did towards the end, and thankfully they used that at the end, why even split up at all? Why not just stay together? Like, there was that whole scene where they're jamming their Rev-9 into the machine. Why didn't the liquid just roll up Arnie's arm and then try and kill Arnie around his, uh, uh, you know, uh, roll up Arnie's arm and then try and like rip his head off or something. Like it, it was so inconsistently, in- it was so inconsistently, cons- consistently inconsistent is what I'm trying to say. It was a bit frustrating. I didn't really understand that, but hey, um, and I really didn't feel like they, I really didn't feel like they killed it in a, in an innovative way. That was one of the best things about Terminator 2 was that they found a way to kill the T-1000 in a way that was like, yep. Totally possible. This is a this was a vulnerability that we didn't see coming, and it was totally possible. But it was the it, what was annoying was that the way they killed the Rev Nine, and this is possibly this is possibly the problem with all the previous Terminators because they did this in Terminator Three too. Is what there was a MacGuffin uh, living inside uh, one of the Terminators. In this case, it was in Grace, but in Terminator Three, it was living inside Arnie, and they used the power cell to basically blow up the 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 Terminator because. Uh, that's just the only thing that was powerful enough to blow them up. And look, I don't, I can't imagine that these these particular Terminators are so impervious to everything. Um, they can be crushed. We saw one getting crushed in the first Terminator movie. I mean, are they made are they made of them? Are they made of andamantium? Is this what's happened now? Are we just saying that they're just made of these alloys that are just so indestructible? Is this how good technology becomes in the future? Because I don't think there is any alloy composite that you can make right now that is going to be stronger than what we currently have like not remarkably stronger i mean it can be a little bit stronger but 
We're talking like so bulletproof, so crush proof, so rust proof, so everything proof that you just, I, I just don't understand what these alloys are from the future. Um, and again, time travel, man, they just, this time travel stuff is just, I've always said that most time travel movies logically don't make sense. And Terminator 2 is no exception. It doesn't really make a lot of sense, but for the reasons of the plot, it seems to be fine. You don't really care. This movie is a bit strange because it's like, it's just, it, they just expect us to kind of believe that, all right, so it's not Skynet anymore. It's like Legion. It just happens. You just got to trust us in this one. Um, how does the resistance form? I guess we well, we don't really know. There's a lot of plot holes. I guess we just have to accept the fact that some of these things just occur. Um, yeah, I did like the, I did like Grace and her augmentation. That was at least a little bit interesting. I like that they introduced something new, which is kind of cool. We had a little bit of that in Terminator Salvation where there was augmentation, but I liked this uh, level of augmentation. Grace, uh, um, what's it called? Something Mackenzie. Frig, what's her name? Something Mackenzie. Terminator Dark Fate is... Her name is... is, 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 is uh, Mackenzie, sorry. Her name is Mackenzie Davis. Um, she's great. Um, she was actually my favorite um, character in the whole movie. Good looking girl too. Um, I actually didn't think she was very attractive in the uh, poster, but she was. Uh, she's a she's a great actress in this movie, and I think she she she's a she's a fantastic action star. In fact, if if she acted like if this the way that she played the way that she played Grace, if this was how she if they played Captain Marvel the way that Grace plays up. Uh, if, they, if Captain Marvel was played the way Grace was played in this movie, I would have totally loved Captain Marvel way more. But, but you know, Captain Marvel was, like, super smug. I actually like that in this movie, Mackenzie Davis plays a uh, this character, which is very strong, very strong-willed. But there's also a sense of, like, uh, how do I say this? It's sort of... Uh, th- there's, a, there's a tenderness. There's a, there's a heart behind it. She's obviously... She obviously cares... She she's very concerned. Like she was probably the most interesting character out of everybody in this movie. Um, again, Natalie Reyes, who plays Danny, was fine. Um, I didn't really buy her character arc too much. I didn't really feel too much for her. She she did suffer quite a lot of losses at the beginning of the movie, but for the most part, I just wasn't connecting with this character. Maybe um maybe I, I just didn't see it. I wasn't feeling anything for this character at all. Um. She just she just wasn't really popping off the screen for me. She did fine. Like I don't think it was her fault it's as an actor. I think it was just that there just wasn't a lot for her to work with. Like she just kinda is just a passenger for a lot of the movie and then at the end she kinda makes some choices, but man, that choice to jam that thing in the Terminator's head by herself was super dumb. Like super dumb. Um like her smacking around the Terminator before she actually jammed it in its eye, I was just like, uh, I wasn't, I just thought that was just a really stupid, stupid move. <laughs> but what? A, who am I to judge? I didn't make this movie. I'm just complaining about it. So should you go see this movie is the question. Um, yeah, uh, it's entertaining. It's entertaining. I'll give you that. There's, there's some bright spots to this movie. Um, the action scenes are balls to the walls fun. I did like all the action scenes that were in this movie. Um, I did like that a lot of it was kind of set in Mexico for a little bit, which is kind of cool. I actually like that aspect in Terminator 2, where they kind of go south of the border and they're just kind of like hiding out like fugitives for a while. 
Um, it's nice to see a little bit of the update with the technology. Uh, like they obviously had this drone, that drone strike stuff, which is kind of like pretty much how they do it now. I like it was kind of innovative where the the Terminator basically shoots, i uh, not shoots, but basically tries to crash the drone into um, into the team. Um, I did like uh, what else did they like? Yeah, Sarah, Sarah, uh, Linda Hamilton was good uh, with what she got given. I. She wasn't too cheesy, which I was glad. She obviously, she still looks like she's still working out, obviously. So she was in good shape. Um, she didn't look like an old granny running around, but she was getting smashed a little bit. So I don't understand how she managed to survive a lot of those hits. She must be really hardcore, man. Um, but yeah, overall, I think you'll have a good time. Um, but it's nowhere near the classic of the original movies. Uh, you'll just, you'll, but of course. Like everything, make up your own damn mind. And uh, I would love to hear your thoughts as well. Anyway, guys, there's tons and tons and tons of movies coming up between now and the end of the year. So I'll keep you abreast of everything that is coming up. In the meantime, in the meantime, I am formulating my next podcast, which is going to be uh, things I've learned after turning 40. Now, you can glean off the wisdom, which is what's happened when I've turned 40. Or you can completely dismiss everything. But until next time, everybody, ciao for now. And I'll see you next time.